This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Now let's stand together. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. We're continuing this series called Breathe. The reason why we stand is we're posturing ourselves and acknowledging this is his word. Can we say amen to that? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can, a ba- how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or from where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I'm going to read 16 because you don't need to look at it to know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last, uh, last, uh, week uh pastor john which if you weren't here we have a new elder did a fantastic job pastor john opened up this series breathe as we came out of ephesians ephesians at the end in ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 it talks about prayer at the end of talking about this armor but it connects prayer to something that scripture often connects prayer to in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer requests for all the saints. Prayer in the Spirit. When I was a kid, we used to uh, compete as brothers. I have five brothers. Some of them are here. uh, And we loved to compete. Now, one of our competitions uh, was that when we would get in a pool... We would not only play chicken, but we could see who could hold their breath the longest. Did you ever play 
That game, any of y'all play that game? Who could hold your breath the longest? And if there's anything about the dailies, we will take a game that is pretty simple and we will make it into a game in which we prove our worth, right? We are very competitive. And so when we come up out of the water, whoever's first knows that they're waiting for the rest to come out of the water and make fun of them, okay? That is going to happen. One person will leave the pool crying. That's going to take place. So we would go under the water and hold your breath, and because of that, you would stay underwater as long as you could, and you start feeling like, I'm literally going to die. But in your mind, you're like, it's worth it, right? Because <laughs> I am not coming out of this water first, right? I, 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 I don't even mind being, you know, second as long as I don't come out first, right? So I'm holding my breath. I'm under the water. And, and, and then all of a sudden I see I'm going to pop up and I'm like, I'm still going. And I come out of the water with all pride and arrogance, boasting in the fact that I don't need to breathe. I'm like a fish. Mocking them like you had to breathe. What a punk. You should have died under there, right? <laughs> this is the game that most Christians play. Arrogant about the fact that we don't need to breathe. And we see our brothers in a place and we're constantly trying to prove our worth by drowning ourselves. Showing that, look how long I could breathe. Look how long I don't need to breathe. I don't need the Spirit. I don't need prayer. I'll just do all of it. Let me just hold my breath. Let's, all, let's see who can last the longest. I can work harder than everybody else. I could put more hours in. I could treat everybody wrong. Well, I could treat everyone wrong because look at what I'm doing. I can make fun of everybody else because I'm stronger than everybody else. Because, dear God, how dare they have to breathe? Church, we have played some pretty twisted, childish games to think we could live our lives underwater, proving. We can do it without breath. You see a Pharisee, and I want you to look at this scripture with me. You see a Pharisee whose name is Nicodemus. Now, we can't spend a lot of time on this because I, I want to run through this preliminary stuff. You can dive into this in prayer yourself, okay? Let this become a theme for you this week as you begin to pray over these texts. Nicodemus came, and I'm going to highlight a couple of things. Look at when he came. He came to Jesus at night. This is important because he, as a Pharisee, had a reputation to uphold. He had laid laws and burdens. He has called people, hold your breath, do it in your own strength. This is the way to live. But he sees this Jesus come, and he recognizes he doesn't do things according to the law in which he is laid upon them. He actually lives life and does things in a powerful way, confusing them. So he sneaks off at night, comes up to Jesus, says, Rabbi, we know that you are teacher who came from God. Now, he's acknowledging it at night. Notice he's not going to do that in public. 
They make fun of him in public and then say, we know, we get it, you're a teacher from God. For no one could perform these signs if they were not from God, if they were not from him. No one could do what Jesus is doing in their own strength. And Jesus replied, Verily, truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Have you heard this language before? Born again? All right. He says, How can someone be born, this is Nicodemus' response, when they are old? He's going, This don't make sense. This doesn't make sense. How can somebody be born when they're old? How can they go second time into the mother's room? He's trying to figure it out. He's a smart dude. But he says, Jesus says to him, listen, I, I'm telling you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Now you're going to see this word spirit over and over again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to what? Come on, help me out here. You know, we're home now. The Spirit gives birth to what? You should not be surprised what I am saying to you. You must be born again. The wind. Now, I want you to see this because this is the same word as these words spirit. This word we're going to talk about, this wind, this spirit, this breath blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of what? He didn't change the thought there. You must be born again. This pneuma, this wind, it blows wherever it pleases. It does what it wants. You can only hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it's going. You can't control this thing. This is what it's like for everyone who's born of the Spirit. And then he goes, how can this be? Then he says, Nicodemus, thought you were a smart dude. Thought you were a teacher. I thought you had this whole thing down. How can you not understand these things? And then he says, verily, I tell you this. What I speak, what we speak, you, you can't know because you can only talk about what you have seen. But still the people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you ever be able to believe what I speak when I talk about what? Heavenly things. No one has ever gone into heaven, or this is the word ascended, it's this ascension. No one has ascended except one, and that's the one who came from or descended. Here's what he said. This kind of birth you cannot earn. You cannot work for, you cannot ascend to. There is one thing that is true about everybody in this room. There's a lot of choices that you make. One choice you did not make is being born. You didn't choose the family you came into. You didn't choose the life you came into. You didn't choose the color of your skin. The amount of money your family made, 
You just came in screaming and breathing. And then all of a sudden, we begin to try to figure out how we can ascend, how we can become. Jesus puts this person, this teacher, this Pharisee in his place by saying, you can't ascend to this. This birth puts you back into this place of childlike reality where the Spirit can only do this work. Only. Here's what you have to understand about this word, pneuma. This word pneuma, which is interpreted in Scripture, wind, breath, or spirit. You're going to see it in multiple places in Scripture. But if you think of the Trinity, the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this perfect unity, this mysterious, perfect oneness. You'll see the Father, and then Jesus is referred to as the Son, but he's also referred to as the Word who's made flesh. So whenever God speaks, the word is spoken. That word always is fulfilled. Christ is the embodiment, the fulfillment, although he's the word in flesh, the fulfillment of all that God has spoken is in Christ. But even Jesus, the word made flesh, would not do a miracle Tell something. You see, inside of that perfect union, there is this spirit, this breath that we see in creation, that when all things were created, they were spoken forth. They said, let there be, and it was. It was fulfilled. Let there be, and it was. Except he broke the whole pattern of creation in Genesis 2-7 when the Lord says, I formed, that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. He formed man out of the dust of the ground, and then he what? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man, here's, here's the reality. He became a living being. Often we look at our flesh. We look at this hunk of dirt. What it shows here is that there's something special about humanity. What is that specialness? He broke the pattern of all creation. Instead of just saying, let there be, he reaches down and gets hands on, and then he looks and goes, that's just dirt without what? Without his breath. What makes us image bearers of God is not a pile of dirt. It's the breath of God that lives within us, that brings us to life. And we are called and given this mission and purpose that out of this identity as his people, we are called to live. And then all of a sudden, sin comes. This reality of the fall where Satan tempts him with this idea, you shall not surely die. God says, you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And he goes, nah, he's lying to you. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah. And they bit into the fruit. And then if you ever really think about it, they went and hid in shame. And then he goes, what made you hide from me? The curse comes, and they're separated from God. But if you think about it, did Satan lie? Did they die, or did they just get separated from God? Or is our definition of death wrong? 
Because what he's showing us is that even though they're still living, they're not living. They're dead people walking. They've returned to dirt without breath. He shows us what real death is and that they're heading towards death because they are walking in death. They're they're dead in their trespasses. They're dead in their sin. Their, Their flesh is dying and decaying. And when Jesus comes, he's the word made flesh and he dwells among them, but he's waiting for something. He's waiting. He lives all these years. People are asking him to do miracles, and there's all these things happening. He said, even at the, 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 the wedding feast, he goes, it's not my time. What's he waiting for? The Spirit at his baptism to depend, to descend upon him, and that Spirit comes upon him and sends him into the desert and sends him into his first message where he acknowledges The Spirit of God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach, to declare that he wasn't going to go into this preaching and teaching ministry without the Spirit anointing him to do it. John 20, 22, after his death, burial, resurrection, the disciples are freaked out. Our Jesus is gone. Where is he at? And they're waiting in an upper room, and he kind of just appears and freaks, their, freaks them out. What? Wait, you know, it's like, I wish he was here, and then just, he's here. Whoa! You know? And he does something in John 20, 22. Scripture says he breathes on them and says, receive ye the Spirit. Why not at that point did did they run out into the streets? Why did they wait? Because Jesus said, wait. Why didn't they go straight to work? He breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. Why did he say, wait and pray? Stayed in the upper room and prayed already filled with the Spirit, waiting to be filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, the Spirit falls on them, and they rush out into the streets, empowered by the Spirit, speaking all these new languages, and people are coming to know Christ. The breath of God is spreading across the earth. The church is filled with the Spirit awaiting the day and praying for the day when heaven and earth will no longer be separated and our union with Christ will be fully made known and fully be revealed and all the things that we're hoping for and waiting for will be seen and heaven and earth will be one and the Spirit of God will flood the earth like the waters flood the earth. We're believing that we're living into the reality that is not yet. Church, the Spirit of God, the pneuma, the Spirit of God is the true power. True power. 
If I was to ask any of you in this room what is true power, I, I guarantee we would come up what, with, with fleshly definitions of, of power. We would talk about having a lot of money or having a position or having an education or being smart. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you come up with the right theological answer, but let me ask you this way. What things are you pursuing for power? Now, I don't want the right answer. I want you to look at your life, right? I don't want you to just read the book. I want the book to read you. In what ways are you going after power? I will tell you, you're doing it in ways that are exhausting you. You're working too hard. All in the name of Jesus. No. Without his breath. You're playing a foolish game of drowning yourself all in the pursuit of money and position. Oh, I know. I'm a prophet to the nations. I'm running out into the streets proclaiming the good news. But why has nothing happened? Why are we still trying to use means of education and, and powerful realities of, of trying to convince people with, 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 with worldly arguments and trying to, to get people to, to come to Christ? Why are we trying to use things that, that, that can flex? In the world that we live in, everybody's flexing their power. And the church is trying to flex back. We're more powerful than you. We got more money. We got more votes. We, we got more votes. We got all. We can, we can fight back. We got louder voices. We can scream louder. We can talk better. We got it all. Jesus says, my spirit's in you. Now stay in this room and pray. Don't move. Don't move. I'll give you an answer we wouldn't come up with. True power is like breath, not like a nuclear bomb. Here's the reality. At any moment, your breath could go away. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how good your diet is. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter your education. All of a sudden, your breath is gone. All fleshly powers don't matter. Because you can't breathe. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much education you have, no matter how healthy you are, you cannot buy another breath. You can't think your way into another breath. You can't work your way into another breath. Real power, if you remember what Pastor John said last week, God is the most humble of all persons. He's in every room, but rarely acknowledged. I want to follow that same line of thinking when we talk about power. Real power is the most humblest of all powers.
It's in every person and not often acknowledged as the true power. See, this week, I want to say the true power of the Holy Spirit is the most humble because Christians act like they don't need it as the real source of their lives. When the early church was brought into existence, there was a massive fight over if Gentiles were a part of the family. So you know what they came up with? They came up with the markers of circumcision and the law to say they're not circumcised and they're not following the law. They came up with these markers and they said, look, if they get circumcised and follow, we'll let them in. And they came up with fleshly things to determine it. And Peter and Paul, the apostles say, ah, here's what happened. The spirit descended on them. And they came alive. Can I, can I just say this? The church today is still dividing over circumcision and laws. We're creating lists of beliefs that if another person doesn't agree to, we say they're not saved. We create a, neat, a nice, neat little package of doctrines, and I'm not, nothing against doctrine, we need them. Can you say Amen. But what we do is we make it a checklist. Do you believe this, 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 and this? Ascend to these beliefs and you will be saved. Be circumcised. Follow these rules. Say you believe these things. And, and everybody else is going, but I don't see the power of Christ living in you. I don't see the breath of God flowing through your lungs. You see, the reality of what makes us followers of Christ and Nicodemus is going, how can this be? And Jesus goes, you can't control it. You can't make it happen. You can't bring this breath into your lungs. You're the smartest and the dumbest all at the same time, right? You're the richest and the poorest all at the same time. You see, the reality of what he brings us into is what Paul is trying to say at the end of Ephesians. Look, there's a real battle that's happening. Can you say amen to that? A real battle. You want to lean into this thing? You want to fight this, this fight? This fight that is there is not even a fight you can see. It's a fight that is way bigger than flesh and blood. So the battle you think it is, it's cosmic. It's bigger. It's principalities and power. So the battle's not what you think it is. Put on this armor. And then we says, put on this armor of righteousness and all these types of things. Put on this armor. And then he goes, but the armor's not what you think it is. The battle's not where you think it is. The armor is not what you think it is. And then he says, pray in the spirit. Pray for everyone. Pray for the saints. Pray for me. Pray, pray, pray. Showing us 
that you could be in the fight and you could have the armor, but you could not be breathing and trying to fight in your own strength. Because the power comes from a place you can't control, but it puts you back in a place of dependence. Nicodemus, the spirit blows where he wishes. You can't think your way into this. You can't ascend into this. The only one man that has ascended showed power by descending. The life of a Christian, the reason why you can't enter unless you become like a child is because a child does a couple of really great things. Is fully dependent. It just cries. And in its mess, it realizes how desperately in need of help Somewhere along the line, we've turned prayer into having to say the right things and do the right things rather than like a child crying to him. I'm going to tell you, I have five kids. None of them think about what they're going to say before they say it. We never say anything because we're trying to formulate an answer a question, an answer, a way to pray to try to impress God. We're holding our breath. We're operating in our own strength. He asks a question that many of us ask. I, I pastor in this church and we're going to spend the last 20 minutes breathing. But I need to talk to you all for a minute. Your favorite question is Nicodemus's question. How do I do this? Yeah. That's your favorite question. And as a young pastor, I loved that question because I thought you all knew that I knew everything. And the more dependent I've become, I've realized that Nicodemus's question reveals his heart more than Jesus, I love how Jesus, he just answers in such a, a bad way. I mean, when I say bad, like I'm talking like good, bad, right? Like so bad, yeah, bad, bad whatever. <laughs> it is amazing how he says it. He says, he says, the spirit's sovereign. See, many of us treat the spirit like a power rather than like a person. We treat him like a power we can control. Come help me. Come do this. Rather than a spirit, we, the Godhead in which we surrender our lives to and are in desperate need for. He'll do what he wants. You're a baby. You can't even do it. You can't even understand. You're sitting here trying to teach everybody and you can't even understand it yourself is what Jesus is saying. And then he comes to our favorite verse of all times. While Nicodemus is sitting in the midst of his dependency, he says something so profound in verse 16. For God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe shall be saved. He says, the spirit blows where he wishes and leads you in a place of complete dependency. The wind and the breath in your lungs you cannot make happen, but God loves you. God loves you. And it's out of his love that he'll put breath in you. Not because you figured it out and ascended to his level. Not because you worked so hard. So with our favorite question, Pastor, how do we get this? I want it. How do we get it? Often we sound like, the sorcerer who comes to the apostles, how do I get it? Can I pay you for it? Can I work for it? Can I get it too? Me too. I want this. Pastor, how do you see that in the scripture? I read and I never see it. What study tools do you use? What college did you go to? What other power beside the spirit could reveal that to you? How do you live this life? Why do you work so? Why do you adopt these kids? Why do you live in this way? How do you do it? How do you do it? It looks so hard. How do you work other jobs? How do you do this? How do you do this? Show me how do you do it? And if we're honest, and if we really get down to the root of it, we're trying to figure out how to be fruitful without abiding. Luke chapter 11, 9, and Mike, if you could come. Luke 11, 9 through 12, look at this. So I say to you, what's this word here? Help me out, church. Ask, and what will happen? It will be given. It might be given, possibly could happen. Depends on how strong you are. Uh, maybe if you ask the right way, if you say please enough times. If you ask with the right, you know, sincerity. Uh, if you ask, no, ask, and what will happen? It will be given to you. Seek and what will happen? You what? Will. You, you will. Knock and the door will be open to you. For it's everyone who what? Asks, receives. And it's the one who seeks that will find. And it's the one who knocks that the door will be open. Which of you fathers, here we go again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish... We'll give a snake to it instead. Or if you're asked for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion, right? No, he's saying, look, if, even if, if, if you then, who are evil, and I'm going to hire who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, you better believe this. How much more will our heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. You can't make it happen. You have to depend on this reality. You have a father who's not evil. And you're holding your breath. And all proud about how hard you work and how strong you are and how gifted you are and how much money you make and all these kinds of things. And you're living exhausted and you're popping up every Sunday going, oh, look at how much I don't need to breathe. And you're just sitting up. 
I don't need God. First thing you're doing, and the reality of this point puts us to this place. I can't make them. You can't either. He's a good father. He's such a good father. If he doesn't love you in this way, then you have no hope. Unless you become like a child, unless you become fully and completely dependent and in need of the Spirit and make space in your life where you start to admit, I'm trying to do it in my own strength. I cannot do this. How do I parent, Pastor? Tell me, how do I parent? Breathe. Breathe. Stop trying to fix your kid and be a kid and breathe and ask your father for real help. He'll give you wisdom. How do I live? I'm poor. I don't have enough money. How do I live? I got to, how do I, breathe and ask him. It's a good father to come meet you. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.